All right, turn with me, please, to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. This will be our last message in the series of uh, the first half of the book of Daniel that we've been looking at. And uh, we've got uh, Larry Price coming this weekend to finish the last six chapters. But um, today we're going to be looking at um, verses 11 through the end of the chapter. So... Uh, we're going to begin in verse 10, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says, When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, uh, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed, and he gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel, cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning, and he went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel, the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have no hurt me, so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever, was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote 
to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. The Lord will bless the reading of his word. Let's just uh, ask him for help in prayer. Lord, we do pray that, um, that the technology would work. Pray, Lord, that the saints are able to hear uh, this message um, Sunday morning. Lord God, we pray that, um, that we may be able to, more importantly, hear you um, through uh, this tremendous passage, a passage that we've all, those of us who have known the Lord most of our lives, have, have heard this story time and time again of Daniel in the lion's den. Lord God, we just pray that uh, you would give us a truth from your word um, and that we may be able to apply some of these things to our lives. Pray that we would all be encouraged and built up one, one another. Uh, and uh, Lord God, we just uh, pray that we would be equipped, um, fully equipped. Um, and so we just uh, ask these things, uh, giving you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... The first thing we're going to look at, we're going to look at five P's this morning, five P's. Uh, the first one is the prayer life of Daniel. We're going to look at the prayer life of Daniel in verses 10 and 11. Uh, there's at least three instances in the book of Daniel where prayer is mentioned. Okay? We had chapter 2. Remember in chapter 2, uh, Daniel and his friends, they got together and they prayed concerning the dream and God remember gave them not only what the dream was but also the interpretation of the dream we have here in chapter 6 where we see Daniel kneeling three times a day and praying towards Jerusalem um, and then of course we have in chapter 9 of Daniel probably one of the most beautiful chapters of prayer in all the Bible and uh, maybe we'll uh, hopefully Larry will cover some of that uh, this weekend as well uh, but there's Four things I want to mention regarding the prayer life of Daniel. Four things we want to look at, and these are actually P's as well. And the first one is this, is I want to look at Daniel's pursuit of prayer. I want you to notice how Daniel pursues uh, prayer here. Because you see, Daniel now is faced with an important decision. Okay? As you read here in verse 10, it says that Daniel now knew that the writing was signed. Okay, So it wasn't like he, wasn't un uh, he was unaware of uh, this decree. He was aware of it. And uh, when he went home, right, he had a decision to make, right? And so the question, I guess, could be is where does Daniel's loyalty lie, right? Um, does it lie with the law of man or with the law of God? And we've talked about this earlier in this series, right? And there are times when Daniel, right, in seeking to um, live at peace with not just God and man, there are times when he tried to uh, in humility, uh, talk to those who were in authority over him. But in this case here is one of those examples that we talked about is that um, when we must choose between the, the law of God and the law of man, um, as Daniel does here, we need to pursue that of the law of God. Um, and you'll see here that uh, Daniel does that. In fact, 
I'm not sure if you ever thought about this, but why does Daniel pray towards Jerusalem? Why does he pray towards Jerusalem? Uh, if you look, please, at 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, chapter 6. It's because it's something that Solomon had told them to do. Okay, 2 Chronicles, uh, chapter 6. Beginning in verse 36, Solomon's saying this. It's a prayer of dedication to the temple. And he's saying it regarding the temple. He says, when, when they, that is the people of God, right? The Israelites, the Jews, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to a land far or near, which is exactly where Daniel's at, right? God had sent uh, the Babylonians in as judgment. They've been taken now away to... Um, to their land, it says in verse 37, Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we have done wrong, and have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they have been carried captive, and listen to this, and pray towards their land, which you gave to their fathers, towards the city, which you have chosen, and towards the temple, which I have built for your name. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. And so here, Daniel really is just obeying the word of God here once again, right? You can actually read about this in First Kings chapter 8 as well, is that they were, if someday they were because of their sins, taken captive, taken away from the city of Jerusalem, taken away from the temple. They were actually instructed to pray towards their land, right? Pray towards the land of their forefathers. Pray towards the um, city of Jerusalem, the temple, because that was the place of worship, right? That was the place that God had set up. And so uh, Daniel did not deliberately open his window wider. In fact, you'll see here that uh, in verse 10, it says, uh, when he got home in his upper room with his windows open. It doesn't even indicate that he opened his windows. I think his windows were already open. And it wasn't even, seems like he even opened them wider. Uh, Daniel merely did that which he was accustomed to doing uh, at all times. This is what Daniel did. And uh, he was not going to change that because that's what uh, God had instructed him to do. To um, direct his himself towards the land that God had promised them, towards the, the temple where they were uh, supposed to worship and to pray to his God. And so you see this pursuit that, that Daniel had in, in, in um, obeying God here. And a godly man will pursue a godly course even though the world is against him. Okay? A godly man will pursue a godly course even when the world is is against him. And Daniel's a perfect example of this, right? The finest of God's servants must maintain regular and fixed prayer habits in order to continue steadfast in their devotion to the Lord. Okay? We must be living and breathing in the atmosphere of prayer. And, and Daniel knew that. He was one of the finest of God's servants, and he knew how important it was to maintain a regular and fixed prayer habit in his life. But not only do we see Daniel's pursuit of prayer, but we see Daniel's positioning in prayer. 
Okay? Daniel's positioning. When we look at this story, I think a, um, a verse that parallels this very well is 1 Peter 4.19. It says this. It says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. That's what Daniel's doing here, right? He's, he's suffering according to the will of God. Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. See, Daniel did what was right according to his knowledge of the will of God, thereby placing himself in the safekeeping of God. And that's the position we all put ourselves in prayer, right? Uh, we should be those who, um, as godly men and women, are pursuing a course where um, daily prayer habits are a part of our life, right? And then when we do that, when we get to a point where we maintain a regular and fixed prayer habit in our lives, we're positioning ourselves into the safekeeping of God. So that no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what emergencies may arise, or no matter what tragedies, no matter what um, unexpected circumstances arise, we, because we're uh, uh, positioning ourselves in prayer, we are in that safekeeping uh, of God. And Daniel knew that as well, right? Here he has, his, as we said, he had a decision to make, but really, right, this was uh, a call to prayer more than any other time in his life. When he heard of this decree that had gone out, right, this was a time for him to pray more than ever. And we need to be like that too. Even in times of emergency, uh, times of crisis, those are the times that we need to pray because in doing so, as the, as the, God, uh, God, the word of God says, we are actually placing ourselves in the safe keeping of God. That's where we want to be uh, during those times. So not only uh, as we look at the prayer life of Daniel, not only uh, do we see Daniel's pursuit of prayer, right? And that uh, he, he's pursuing a godly course, right? But we also see the positioning in prayer where he is placing himself in the safekeeping of God. But I also want you to notice the, the posture in Daniel's prayer. Notice Daniel's posture in prayer. It says here that when he got up to his upper room with the winds open, it says that he knelt down on his knees. He knelt on his knees. And I, I think there's, um, that God pays attention to details, right? That uh, there's a reason why it's mentioned that he knelt down. Now, remember, here is a, a man who's in his 80s, right? A, an older man, right? A man who has suffered, um, and, and, and try, if you can, visualize this, this whole man uh, praying towards, towards Jerusalem uh, with his windows open, but he's kneeling down um, and praying. You know, uh, when the Lord Jesus, right, uh, on the night of his betrayal and arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know the word says specifically that he, he withdrew to, you know, by himself, and it says that he knelt down and prayed. He didn't have to. He could have reclined. He could have sat. He could have stood, right? But the Bible specifically says that Jesus himself, when he prayed that night to his father, he knelt down. He got on his knees and he prayed, right? We read of Stephen, Stephen, the first martyr, right? When, when they are about to stone him, um, and, and you remember that Stephen prays to God, right? He, he prays that, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do it. Uh, echoing the words of the Lord Jesus himself, right? It says that right before he says that, it says Stephen knelt down and prayed. He knelt down. Not only that, right, but uh, when Dorcas was restored to life, right? Uh, when Peter went to pray over her, it says that Peter knelt down and prayed. Um, when Paul gathered with the Ephesian elders, 
It says he knelt down and he prayed with them all. As Paul concluded his visit to uh, Tyre, Luke says this. He says he kneeled down on the shore and he prayed. It's an interesting contrast too, right? That the Lord Jesus himself, he says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. It says, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they shall have their reward, right? And also you look at this book of Daniel, right? In this book of Daniel, it's an interesting contrast where just a few chapters ago in chapter three, we're reading of, Three men standing, right? When everyone else was kneeling before the image, right? But we had those three men standing. And here, just three chapters later, it's just an interesting contrast where everyone is standing before the man, so to speak, Darius, right? This decree that has gone out where no one is to kneel down and petition anyone other than King Darius. Here we see this um, lonely saint, kneeling before the Lord. Um, I don't don't think there's a mistake there uh, in looking at how we see there's stories of men who are kneeling and standing in the contrast here between them all. Listen, I'm not saying that prayer, in order to be effective, right, must be offered on on one's knees. Not at all. In fact, I know my brother Dave McLean uh, engaged in daily intercessory prayer for years as he was bedridden. Um, But what a sight it must have been, right, to see the aged prophet of God kneeling in sweet communion with the Lord. I think that uh, certainly um, privately, I think that's a great position for us to be in, in prayer. When we are alone with the Lord, we have an opportunity to kneel down beside our bed, to kneel down at our desk, to kneel down somewhere, right? Um, There's nothing sweeter than that, to have that sweet intercessory uh, with our Lord, that uh, that daily intercessory prayer, uh, kneeling before the Lord. And see here we see the posture of uh, Daniel's prayer. But the last thing I want to point out is Daniel's praise in prayer. Okay? It says here that Daniel, right, he got down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God. How can a man give thanks when he is looking death squarely in the face. Right? How can a man give thanks? He, 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 uh, he knows that the writing has been signed. Um, he knows what the consequence is of, of praying to anyone other than King Darius. And, and yet uh, in staring uh, death squarely in the face, uh, Daniel actually gives thanks in his prayer. He gives thanks. Not to mention the fact that we already know what Daniel has gone through these 80-some-odd years. Um, He still has never gone home. He still has never seen his family. Um, He's seen kings come and go, and um, he's seen them disregard um, the the God of Jehovah. Um, And and every day as as he prays in an open window, towards the place where he's supposed to be, right? The place that was promised to his fathers. And yet here he is in Babylon under captivity. How, how could Daniel give thanks? The reason is, I think, because Daniel's heart was filled with praise. Um, you see, Daniel had been thanking God three times a day for most of his lifetime. 
right? So he was never without a cause to praise God. Church, listen, in difficult circumstances, what course shall the godly take? What, what do we do when we're facing difficult circumstances, right? What, what, is, the, what is the godly course um, for us, right? Well, I think it is, is to look up and thank God for every blessing. That's, that's the course, right? To, to, no matter what the circumstance is, right? No matter how difficult things are, right? That we ourselves should always have a heart of praise, always have a heart of thanks. We need to look up and thank God for the blessings that we have. You know, it's easier to thank God, too, for past blessings, right, um, than it is to thank him before the answer to our prayer comes. I mean, here, Daniel certainly has not been rescued from the lion's den yet, um, and yet he still is thanking God for answered prayers, right? How often we need to do that? It's, it's easy, right? It still doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it, right? But it's easy to thank God for past blessings, but we need to thank God even when prayers haven't been answered yet. Because our heart is full of praise. You see, in the heart of the man of God, the element of praise is never absent. Even under the, um, the pressure of impending danger. Hey, it's always um, in the heart of the man of God. This element of praise. And I believe that we are spiritually poor if we fail to find our place okay, um, on our knees before the Lord. Um, praising him even in the midst of life's worst trials, okay? Um, if we fail to find ourselves doing that, we are spiritually poor. We need to find ourselves on our knees before the Lord, praising him, right? Even in the midst of life's worst trials, okay? So no matter what it is that you're going through right now, right? Right now, you might be going through your life's worst trial. I don't know, Okay? Uh, there may be uh, your life's worst trial still ahead, coming up. We don't want to be those who are spiritually poor, right? We want to be those, the church of God, to be those that even when those trials come, we will still be on our knees praising God, no matter what. And so you see the prayer life of Daniel here, right? You see Daniel's pursuit of prayer. You see Daniel's position in prayer. You see his posture in prayer. And then certainly we see, excuse me, Daniel's praise in prayer. But not only do we see the prayer life of Daniel, but also in this story here, we see the powerless King Darius. The powerless King Darius. And there's two points here I want to make uh, when it comes to the powerless King Darius is this. The first one is that measly man proposes. Okay, the measly man proposes, right? You'll see here in verse 12, right? They, they come before him. These men who remember James talked about last week, they planned this whole thing out, right? And, and they got him to say, right? Yes, the thing that you're saying is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they get him to say, yes, of course, that's true. And as soon as he says that, they say, well, you know, you know that guy, Daniel, he, he's not doing that, Right? In fact, they say in verse 13, right, that when they're talking about Daniel uh, is not showing true regard for you, they say that, um, O king, or he doesn't show regard for the decree that you have signed. You have signed, right? And so the king knew at once that he had been tricked, right? But it was too late. Um, in fact, 
the, the law, right? This law of the state had authority even over kings. It had authority because it says there in verse 14 that he labored till going down to the sun to deliver Daniel. He was thinking all night, all day until the sun went down. How could he deliver Daniel? Because he loved Daniel. He respected Daniel. And he knew that these guys had tricked him. But you know what? The law of the state had authority even over King Darius because it says that it was to no avail, right? He could not figure out a way to deliver Daniel. And so these measly men, right, they proposed this, this trick, right, this trap uh, for Daniel. And so Daniel was condemned, right, by the law of man. Okay? In fact, repeatedly, uh, it says here in this portion that the law of the Medes and Persians is, is described as the law which does not alter. You see that in verse 8 and in verse 12. It's a law that does not change, right? It does not alter. And then in also verse 8, 15, and 17, uh, it says the law of the Medes and Persians is described as the law which cannot be changed. It cannot be changed. And so these men here, they thought, right, these measly men, they had proposed a plan, right? And and everything looked good, right? Everything looked good that as far as this, this um, law of the state, even, even had authority over King Darius. Um, but um, when measly men uh, propose, right? Or, or um, what measly man proposes, our second point is, is a mighty God disposes, okay? Uh, it's too, so many times, right, in, 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 uh, in the existence of man, right? Measly man, he proposes, and yet time and time again, it is our mighty God who disposes, right? Um, and so we need to remember that, that uh, what measly men propose, our mighty God disposes. You see, Daniel was condemned by the law of man, but there was yet a mightier law to be reckoned with, <laughs> Maybe the law of the Medes and Persians could not be altered, but God has laws of his own. You remember the story of Esther, right? Where he had made a decree and he could not reverse his decree that all the Jews were to be killed. But upon Esther's intercession, right? And Mordecai and everything else, right? They were able to create a new decree where Jews could defend themselves, right? And so certainly there are sometimes laws that cannot be altered. Right? But God has laws of his own. Right? There is a mightier law that is to be reckoned with. You see, when the Jews sought to put Jesus to death, right? Here's what they said. They said, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die. That's in John chapter 19, verse 7. And you know what? He did die. Right? They had a law, right? By which he ought to die, and our Lord Jesus Christ, he did die. But that law of man was superseded, wasn't it? Right? It was superseded by the authority and the power greater than that of any and all men. Namely, the power of his resurrection. And I wish I was at chapel right now this morning. Because at this point, I'd say, listen, can I get an amen? Right? So I'm hoping, maybe I didn't have to say that. Maybe some of you already said, that's good, John. Or praise the Lord or amen. Right? Uh, because, yes, our Lord Jesus died. Right? But um, the law of man was superseded by the authority and power that was greater than any and all men, the power of his resurrection. And so Daniel was pushed in, right? Daniel was pushed in to that den. The stone was brought in 
and, and laid on it, the royal seal was put on it, which forbade anyone from opening it. In fact, it says there, the reason they did that was that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Okay? That it might not be changed. It's in uh, verse 17, by the way. Interesting, right? When you hear of a stone being brought um, and you hear of it being sealed and so that it might not be changed, I hope that uh, rings a bell, right? <laughs> um, you see, when the, the body of our Lord was taken down from the cross, uh, there were some, and, and put in the tomb, there were some Pharisees and, and Sadducees who had approached um, um, the uh, Pilate, right? And, and they asked him to command them to, to secure um, the tomb, right? They, they had heard what the Lord Jesus had said, and they were concerned that someone was going to come steal the body and, and uh, say that he had uh, rose again. And so, sure enough, uh, Pilate told them to make it as secure as they know how. <laughs> and they went and, and they secured it. They sealed the stone and, and they set a guard there. But, but when they came to the tomb, our Lord wasn't there, was he? Okay. Our Lord wasn't there. And again, I, I, better, I hope I hear some amen, some praise the Lord's there at the chapel, right? Um, you see, just like with Daniel, the purpose concerning Daniel, they did not want it to be changed, right? Those who had put our Lord Jesus Christ into the tomb, Satan himself, right? They did not want that to be changed, but they did not realize that what measly man um, proposes, our mighty God disposes. That's what he does. And so, you know, we look at the high priest, right? In Acts chapter 5, he had the apostles locked in a prison cell. Go look at that story. It's it's just tremendous. I love just the, the uh, almost, it's almost a funny when you look at this here in the story of Daniel, how they took all these precautions, right? to, to uh, purpose that this thing concerning Daniel would not change. And guess what? God delivered him. When, when they sit there and they sealed the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ and put guards on it, they came back to the tomb. The Lord Jesus wasn't there anymore. They hear the high priest, they locked the apostles up in prison. And when they send the officers to go get them, the next day it says, listen, everything is locked. The guards are in place, but we went inside. Nobody was there. Herod put Peter in prison. Not only that, he, he actually had him chained, one on either side. They were chained by the wrist there, and he had a guard outside as well. And we know the story there where God sent an angel there and, and delivered Peter uh, from prison. And so it delights the believing heart, right, to stand by and wait for God to set aside the foolish laws of man and to do the miraculous, right? Um, King Darius was powerless. They had tricked him right? Um, he knew it right away. And, and this, um, this law of the state, right? It, it had authority, authority even over him. But, um, but what these, these measly men, uh, these measly men proposed, uh, we know that God disposed of it. Um, there's always a law that supersedes the law of man. And, uh, I praise God for that, especially when it comes to uh, the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so certainly that leads us to this next part where we look at the power of God, right? So we looked at the prayer life of Daniel, 
We looked at the powerless King Darius. And now let's look at the power of God, right? Um, first, it preserved Daniel, right? The power of God preserved Daniel. How did God preserve Daniel? Well, when King Darius comes to the the the, um, the den the next day, he says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able? What an interesting question, right? Of course God is able, <laughs> Right, But Darius, he doesn't know the Lord like we do. And he says, was your God able? And we know, of course, God is able to deliver him from the lions. Right, But how did God do it? How did God preserve Daniel? Daniel says to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel. Right, God sent an angel to the lions then. So I don't know if, if, if Daniel saw the angel. I don't know if if the lions could see the angel, but I know and I believe with all my heart that there was an angel in that den because Daniel said so. Daniel said God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouths. And so I believe in angels. <laughs> in fact, in, in Psalm 91 verse 11, it says, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all his ways, in all your ways, right? In Hebrews chapter one, verse 14, it says, Speaking of angels, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? In Psalm 34, verse 7, it says, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. When you get a chance, you can read some of the stories of missionaries in, in, uh, in tribal areas where uh, tribal people were coming to kill, kill servants of God. And they were in their hut praying, waiting to see what God would do. And as they came, all of a sudden they turned, they left. And years later, as, as God intervened and some of these people got saved, they, they learned, later learned that as these people came up, they saw all an army of people around their hut. So whatever it was, and these people couldn't believe it, but it was angels, angels that, that God had, had sent to them, that had camped all around them and delivered them. Right in Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, you his angels who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Okay. And again, so I just, I believe that the, the, the fact that God sent his angel and preserved his servant Daniel is a demonstration of the power of God, right? That God can send his, his uh, spirits, his angels to minister to whomever he wants, uh, even minister to a servant like Daniel in a lion's den. Uh, it's just, a, again, um, just a demonstration uh, to us of the power of our God. But not only did he preserve Daniel, right? The, the power of God here, it proved Daniel's innocence, right? Here, the, this demonstration of the power of God, not only did it preserve Daniel, but according to Daniel's testimony, it actually proved Daniel's innocence. Look what he says to King Darius. He says, my God sent his angel, this is verse 22, and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Amazing, right? Because I was found innocent before God, and I've done nothing wrong before you, Darius. Right? So this divine deliverance, right, from God demonstrates the fact that God had vindicated Daniel, that he had vindicated him. You see, Daniel's apparent disobedience, right, um, in praying to God um, was not because of, of any contempt, right, that he had for Darius. 
right? It was because his first loyalty was to his God. That was the reason. And here in, in Daniel's testimony, we see that this, this demonstration of God's power, right, demonstrated the fact that God had vindicated Daniel. Daniel was innocent before God, and Daniel had done nothing wrong to King Darius. Um, and so uh, it proved Daniel's innocence. But not only that, not only did the power of God preserve Daniel, uh, not only did it prove Daniel's innocence, but it pointed to Daniel's faith. It pointed to Daniel's faith. You see, in Hebrews chapter 11, right, the hall of faith, um, it actually mentions that there are those, right, um, through faith who are able to brave the lions. Uh, some of the translations say uh, through faith, right, they were able to stop the mouths of lions. And so even though God had sent his angel to minister to his servant Daniel and shutting the lion's mouth, Hebrews almost indicates too that, right, it was the faith of Daniel, the faith of Daniel that had stopped the mouths of those lions. You see, Daniel knew that the chief requirement for a man of God was faith. That's the great essential in the lives of the saints. It's faith. That's what everything's based on. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so here, in stopping the mouths of the lions, right, it proved the faith of Daniel. This whole series, right, that we've been looking at, kind of just bring it all back together, right? We said that if we had to title this series, right, it was how do you remain faithful in a foreign land, right? How do we, as the people of God, how do we remain faithful in a fallen world, Right? Well, here Daniel again shows us that uh, here is a man who's taken from his home, from his family, taken to a foreign land, uh, put under captivity in Babylon, and yet he remained faithful. He continued to be a man of faith to the point where he's even able to stop the mouths of lions, as Hebrews chapter 11 tells us. And so a living faith in the living God will give courage and strength for every emergency of life. I truly believe that. Okay? If we have a living faith in the living God, right, it will give us courage and strength for every emergency of life. And I hope you believe that too. I hope you believe that as well. And so we see here not only just the prayer life of Daniel, we see the powerless King Darius, we see the power of God, and then we see the proclamation of King Darius, the proclamation. And just three short things here about uh, Darius's uh, proclamation. We, it begins in verse 25. He, he writes to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. He says, I, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Um. You know, we talked about this before with Nebuchadnezzar, right? There are times where Nebuchadnezzar made similar proclamations, right? That he called God the God of Daniel, right? He never quite made it personal, right? And so certainly I think Darius is at this point right now. There Certainly there's some, um, some change here in Darius, right? Um, but we don't know. We'll never know if Darius, uh, until one day in glory, actually ever um, personally trusted in the God of Jehovah, himself. But certainly there's a respect now for the God of Daniel. But look at his proclamation here. One, 
Um, he says this. He, he really is saying this. God exists. God exists. Look what he says in verse 26. He says, for he is the living God. He's the living God. And so again, how uh, that proclamation is needed today, right? In a world that so many now are denying the existence of God, right? Here is King Darius, a man who wasn't even a believer, uh, did not have faith in God, and yet um, makes this proclamation that he is the living God. He exists. God exists uh, even today in this world. But not only that, God is everlasting. He says here that uh, not only is he the living God in verse 26, but he's steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. And so he again is proclaiming that not only does God exist, but God is everlasting. He is eternal, right? There is no end to God or to his kingdom. And that's so encouraging for us as well too, right? Uh, we've looked at, at Daniel here, right? When we looked at that image and we saw that rock, um, right? That came and, and destroyed all those nations and kingdoms, uh, right? But this one is an everlasting kingdom. Even the greatest kingdoms of all time, right? Rise and they fall. Um, but God's word promises it, that there's a kingdom and it's God's kingdom that will never end. Um, and so King Darius proclaims this as well. Uh, this is one that will not be destroyed. It shall endure uh, to the end. But not only that, this is my favorite part, is not only does, does this proclamation say that God exists and that God is everlasting, but really he's saying God is extraordinary. <laughs> right? He, he says, God delivers. He rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he's delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Our God is extraordinary. He is awesome. And here we have a, a man again, a, a, a king, <laughs> uh, a secular king, um, who can make this proclamation that, wow, this God of Daniel is extraordinary. Praise God that you and I, we know this God personally, right? In a personal way, that we know that he exists, that we know that he is everlasting, and that certainly our God is uh, extraordinary. He still, right, still delivers. He still rescues right? He still works signs and wonders and uh, certainly can deliver us from uh, anything in our lives. But thank God he delivered us from the power of sin. Um, delivering someone from the, the power of the lions is nothing compared to being delivered from the power of sin and death. And that's what Christ did for us. Thanks God we have victory now through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, and so he has delivered us from the power of sin and the power of death. And so we've looked at the, uh, the prayer life of Daniel. We looked at the powerless Darius. We looked at the power of God. We looked at the proclamation, right, of uh, King Darius. And just the last thing I want to look at is the prosperity of Daniel. The prosperity of Daniel. As we finish chapter 6 here, in verse 28, it says, So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Um, you know, Daniel uh, was privileged and he was permitted. Okay? Uh, when we consider the prosperity of Daniel, what do I mean by he was privileged? Um, you see, because of the faithfulness of Daniel, he was actually exalted to a place of honor wherein he was privileged to witness to two kings. 
You know, I always thought about that with Billy Graham. I thought, how cool is that that Billy Graham got to actually share the gospel with presidents or with other world leaders, right? Um, what a tremendous honor, right? What a tremendous privilege for Daniel in his lifetime. Here he is, a, a, a slave, right? A prisoner. And yet God exalted him to a place where he, got, he had the opportunity to witness to two kings, probably two of the most powerful kings that ever lived. And, and Daniel was privileged uh, to do so. Praise God. Even You got to see one of them even come to know Jehovah, right? Come to know the God in which we know as well. Uh, and who knows, maybe Darius uh, one day too, through Daniel's influence, uh, may come, may came to know Jesus, uh, know God as his Savior. But, um, but you know, certainly when we look at the prosperity of Daniel, uh, he certainly did prosper because he was just, he was so privileged in that he was exalted to a, a place of honor where he consulted with kings, right? Um, second only to the king uh, at times. But not only was he privileged, right? But Daniel was permitted, permitted. Um, you see, the, the historical portion uh, of the book of Daniel, it might have concluded right here with the prophet's death, right? Certainly, he could have been thrown into the lion's den, and, uh, and that would have been it for Daniel. Um, but as we know here, right, instead, God allowed him to live, right, and write the vast canvas of world events, kingdoms rising and falling, earthly thrones cast down, until the Ancient of Days returns to occupy his throne. God not only allowed Daniel to live, right, but God allowed him to write these things. And I know I alluded to this earlier when I spoke uh, on chapter one as well, right, that God honors those who honor him. Um, but it's just amazing here that, that Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius. Here, he, under, the, under the Babylonian captivity, under the, the, um, uh, the Persians, right, um, Dan, Daniel is still able to um, write the word of God, um, it's just amazing to me. Um, no greater honor, I think, could ever be bestowed upon any man. And, and there certainly have been servants of God, right, who prayed less, had less faith, and were less persistent in their determination to serve God faithfully than was Daniel. But then they've also prospered less than did Daniel. I really believe that God honors those who honor him. And I believe that, uh, church, if we are those who pray more... <laughs> If we are those who um, are uh, faithful, right? If we are those who are persistent in our determination to serve God faithfully, uh, I, I really believe that then we prosper. Um, and uh, spiritually, that is, right? That, 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 that God can completely satisfy you, completely satisfy you, um, but too often, right, too often uh, when it comes to our life, you know, I remember Paul here, uh, he talks about uh, pray at all times with all prayers and supplications um, uh, for all the saints, right? And, and, and the key there is the word all, right? But for most of us, right, we would have to say that we pray, we pray sometimes, right, with some prayers and some supplications, right, for some saints, some of the saints. And we, we really need to just kind of, uh, transform and revolutionize our prayer life, right? Um, so that we are doing those things all the time. And, and I really believe that um, 
if we do that, then we can prosper uh, as Daniel did. Now this chapter, right, it should challenge every servant of God never to be afraid of the evils which threaten you, but to believe that God is equal to every emergency. I'll close with this. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 13, it says, Then shalt thou prosper if thou takest heed. Let's pray. Our Father, our prayer is that we would take heed to what we've learned in this book of Daniel. Lord God, we are living in a fallen world. We acknowledge that. And um, Lord God, we want to be used by you um, in this, the world in which we live in. And, and may we just use the example of Daniel here, a man of prayer, uh, a man who lived by faith, um, even in a, in a fallen world, even under captivity. Um, Lord God, we now are living in, in a world that is governed by power, not by the truth of God's word. Um, and so, Lord God, we are in some ways like Daniel right now. And so we just pray that um, we can um, apply the, the life of Daniel, the example of Daniel in our own lives, so that we can be effective. I mean, look how you uh, exalted Daniel to a place where he was able to witness to two kings in his lifetime. Lord God, we want to be effective for you. May we live in such a way, Lord. Um, may we may be persistent in our determination uh, to serve you faithfully so that maybe you might exalt us to a, to a position where we can witness to two people this week. <laughs> maybe we can uh, witness to a couple co-workers or a couple of our neighbors, whatever it may be, Lord. We, we want to be used by you. We want to be effective for you uh, in this uh, fallen world in which we live in. And so we know that we cannot do this in and of our own flesh. We can only do it as we are controlled and empowered by your spirit. And so we ask these things um, uh, in accordance to your word, in accordance to your will, uh, with much thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.